heart. Let's pray together. Father, please help us right now. God, we ask you for help. Lord, we come again to meditate together on your word. And Lord, we proclaim the truth of your word that it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It rebukes us and corrects us and trains us in righteousness. Lord, you do, you do these things through your powerful word. So please, God, help us as we come to it this morning. God, help us to see. Help us to see, Lord, beautiful things about you because you are glorious. God, show us yourself through your word, please. Give us a glimpse of who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would stamp it on our souls, Lord. That we would know you, that we would walk into a deeper knowledge of you to really know you. Stir our hearts to worship. Stir our hearts, hearts to worship this morning. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a really important question. And it's, do you know God? Do you know God? If I could put my hands on everybody's shoulders... Every single person here, if I could put my hand on your shoulders and look you in the eye and ask you that question, do you know God? How would you respond to that? Do you know God? Now, I don't mean do you know about God as a historian maybe knows about some ancient historical figure, knows facts about that historical figure. I mean, do you know God like a child knows his father do you know God? John 5 verse 39 tells us there's a way that we can actually search the scriptures daily and yet come away and still not know God. Not know the God of the scriptures. I also don't mean do you know him exhaustively? Do you know everything? Do you know him perfectly? I don't mean that because our God is incomprehensible. You cannot fully know him. It's an eternal pursuit to know God. You can mine the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God for a thousand years with the best mining tools and still you just scratch the surface. Still you just know the edges of His ways. So I don't mean do you know Him exhaustively, but I mean do you know God like a child knows His Father? Like my three-year-old knows me. My son knows me. There's a lot of facts missing in his mind. In fact, I asked him the other day if he, uh, you know, he knows what his mama does for his living. His mama's a homemaker. I said, do you know what I do for a living, my three-year-old? And he said, you work for the girls. <laughs> so apparently I'm an assistant homemaker. <laughs> so my son knows me like a child to a father, but his knowledge is incomplete and he's growing in it. And I'm just a man. Can you imagine? Listen, I'm talking about do you know God? Not just about him, obviously not perfectly, but do you know him like a child knows his father and growing in your knowledge of God? Romans eleven thirty three 33 says, Oh, the depths 
of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. His judgments are unsearchable and his ways past finding out. You know God. I think it's an important question for us to keep coming back to as people that love doctrine, we love sound theology, we love God's word. It's important that we continue to ask ourselves, do we know this God? In Jeremiah chapter 9, I'm going to read this verse to you at the end of verse 3. God says this to a group of people that knew a lot of facts about God. He says, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. And then again, to a people that know a lot of facts about God. In verse 6, at the end of verse 6, they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. And he goes on to say the more famous verse in verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. Let him boast that he knows me. That I'm the Lord. I want to read something to you from a, a passage out of J.I. Packer's book called Knowing God. And he speaks a lot at the beginning of this book, Knowing God. He, he speaks about uh, if you're going to get knowledge about God, it's important that you ask yourself, what are you going to do with that knowledge? Because if you just want to know about God just for the end of theological knowledge, just so you know a few things, it will ruin on you. It'll rot like the manna. But if you want theological knowledge and sound doctrine, then you might know the God of this book. And he says that's a, that's a different matter. He says this. Interest in theology and knowledge about God and the capacity to think clearly and talk well on Christian things is not at all the same thing as knowing Him. We may know as much about God as Calvin knew. Indeed, if we study His works diligently, sooner or later we shall. And yet all the time, unlike Calvin, may I say, we may hardly know God at all. So I think what he's getting out here is we need to be a people that seek to know God Himself. Listen Listen to what the Scripture says about Him. And think about this difference. Test your own heart and think about this difference between knowing facts about God and knowing the glorious God. Psalm 63, verse 1. He says, Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. Psalm 42, 1. As a deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. In Psalm 27, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing I desire on earth besides you. I want you, O Lord. Psalm 84, 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Oh, that I might just be with God. Do you know God in such a way that it moves you, your heart and your soul to thirst after Him. And through this book, through this Bible, to thirst after Him. To want to be with Him. To want to know Him more. Do you know God? So our teaching today, what I want to do as we 
take a break for one Sunday from the book of Acts is I want to take time today for us to do a corporate meditation on who is God. And so corporately together, we're going to lean in through God's word, through the truth. And we're going to see who is God and what will you do with this knowledge? What will you do with it? There's a lot of attributes that we could go to about who God is, but I want us to focus in on one particular glorious attribute of God, and it's this, His immutability. His immutability. Let me give you a definition. Immutability means unchangeableness. So this is the unchangeableness of God. Our God who is always the same in His eternal being. Our God who does not change. The hymn says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. This is the immutability of God. Our faithful, immutable God. Now is this biblical? And we're going to come through a few, a few passages of scripture. But just very quickly. This is a beautiful attribute and a biblical attribute of God. Malachi 3.6 God says, I the Lord do not change. Do not change, is what God says. In James 1, 17, it says, The Father of lights, in whom there is no variation nor shadow due to change. And we see this all over God's Word, that our God is a God who does not change. He's not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should change His mind. He's not like man in that sense. He is immutable God. The Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is... Is the same today and yesterday and forever. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's the immutable God. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that we focus for a moment on our immutable God, the, immut the immutability of God? And there's a thousand reasons, maybe a million reasons, maybe infinite reasons that it's important that we think about this attribute of God. But let me give you what's been standing out to me about why this is so important for us all. This affects you knowing God and not just knowing about God. Understanding the immutability of God affects you knowing God and not just knowing about God. Now let me see if I can explain that for a minute. If He is immutable, that means that everything you learn about Him in His Word in the past, it is the same today. That everything you see about Him in His Word, when you see something about His glorious attributes, you can say, that is my God now and forever. If God is not immutable, you will be tempted to believe God yesterday, but not today and forever. He will be to you a God that you know like a historian knows a historical figure, but not like a child knows his father. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's the immutable God. If God is not immutable, it, it guts every sermon and every personal Bible study. Because whatever you learn about Him, how do you know He's still that way now? And I say we do know that because He is the immutable God. Now turn with me to Psalm 102. I just want to give you three passages. Three passages from the Word of God that show us His unchangeableness and some different aspects 
of our immutable God. Psalm 102, verse 25. Look at it with me. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Paul, it's interesting that this is quoted in Hebrews 1 about Jesus. Verse 26. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. So he points to the heavens and the earth and he says all these things are going to pass away, but you, God, will never pass away. You, you are the same. You are unchangeable God. Immutable God. Now this attribute, the immutability of God, can be applied as, a, as an adjective to every other attribute of God. He is powerful, but He has an immutable power, an unchangeable power. The same God that parted the Red Sea is powerful God today and forever. He's, he, he's a God of wisdom. That's an attribute of God. He's a God of wisdom, but He has immutable wisdom. It's unchanging. The same wisdom by which He created the heavens and the earth is here today and forever. This attribute is an attribute that we uh, should not try to imitate, nor could we imitate. You know, the, the, uh, oftentimes when people write books about the attributes of God, they put them in different categories like communicable and incommunicable attributes. And the idea there is these are attributes that, that you should imitate His goodness or His mercy or His grace or His love. And then here's these other attributes of God, these incommunicable attributes that you cannot, should not imitate. They belong to God alone. He is the holy God set apart in a category all by Himself and no one is like Him in these attributes. And, and immutability is one of those attributes. Now let me try to give some practical examples of that. You should be teachable. Okay? You should be teachable. Uh, why should you be teachable? Because somebody might share something with you that helps change your mind for the better or change your attitude for the better or change your actions for the better. So you need to be teachable. But not so with God, rightly so, right? He has no need to be teachable. Who would teach Him? Think about this for a moment. God has never learned anything. He has never learned anything, ever. God has never changed His mind, ever. Numbers 23 19. God's not a man that He should allow, or a son of man that He should change His mind. He's never changed His mind. He's the immutable God. You should be teachable, but not God. Now, some people might say this when I say that, but wait a minute. What about, what about those passages of Scripture that it seems like God does change His mind? You know, Moses prays. God says, I'm going to destroy all these people. Moses prays. And then it seems, like, it seems like God goes on to change His mind about what He was going to do. What about those passages? Now, I want to try to... That, that's something we can talk about for a while, but I want to try to answer it clearly and quickly to get past that. And to do that, look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
First Samuel chapter 15. Now, I'll tell you why I'm turning to this chapter. If you look at First Samuel chapter 15, verse 10, we have something like maybe the objection that would be there. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret. Some versions say repent. I repent. Can God repent? I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now that sounds like God changed his mind. I regret. I repent. I change my mind that I have made this man king. Look, look forward to verse 35. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So here's this, here's these passages we're talking about. But what about this passage? It sounds like God has changed his mind here. All those numbers 23 19 says he's not a son of man, that he should change his mind. What's going on here? Same word. Same word, right in the middle of these two past two verses I just read. Look at verse 29. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Same word. Same chapter. Here's why I point to this. That if it would have been in different books of the Bible, over here they said God doesn't regret, over here it says God does regret, over here it says God doesn't change his mind, over here it says God does change his mind, then maybe there would be something that would uh, throw you off a little bit. But you're reading the same chapter of the Bible. This writer's not an idiot. He knows that he just wrote something about God regretting, and he just wrote, and he wrote something at the end about God regretting, and right in the middle he says the glory of Israel. This God does not regret. He's not a man that he should regret. He's not a man that he should change his mind. Now, what we're seeing here is that he knows what he's doing. So what's going on here? Let's, let, me, let me try to give a simple answer. And I want to try to make it simple by pointing to something from AWP. Listen to this. When speaking of himself, God speaking of himself, God frequently accommodates his language he frequently accommodates his language to our limited capacities. Think about it. He describes himself as clothed with bodily members, as eyes, ears, hands. Think about it, the, the right hand of God. God does not have a hand. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. God doesn't have eyes. He's not limited to a body in this way. So he's speaking in such a way to accommodate us so we understand what he's saying. He speaks of himself as waking, as rising early, yet he neither slumbers nor sleeps. When he institutes a change in his dealing with men, when God changes in the way he deals with men, not changing in his character, but man walks with God, there's a certain way he deals with him. Man walks in the evil, walks away from God, there's a certain way he deals with him. When he institutes change in his dealings with men, he describes his course of conduct as repenting or as Regretting. So what we're seeing here in 1 Samuel 15 is God bringing his language down so we understand. I have regretted, but here's what it doesn't mean, according to the same chapter. God's not a man that he repents. He's not a son of man that he changes his mind. He's not like that. So here, here's, here's what I'm getting at. God does not change. 
And, and one, way, one way we see this, this idea of the immutability of God and how that's different than us is that we are to be teachable. He's not. We should be people that want to improve. We want to be subject to change. Wouldn't it be terrible if we, couldn't, if we, were, if we were immutable and we couldn't change? Wouldn't that be terrible? And so we need to be subject to change. We need to be those who want to improve. But God has never improved, ever. We want to be those who, who uh, go to a multitude of counselors for our decision making. Why? Because somebody might share something with us that changes our mind, changes our attitude, changes our decision, changes our actions. But listen to me. God has never asked counsel of anyone. Who would counsel God who never changes? All the nations to, could gather together. All the nations could get one unified opinion. Imagine if all the nations did that and came to you. Now they come to God with their unified opinion. All the nations, they could come to God with their opinion and give Him counsel and it would not amount to a hill of beans. It wouldn't change Him for a moment. Psalm 33 verse 10 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Our God doesn't change. He can't be counseled. His knowledge is perfect and it's unchanging. Now everything else, everything around you is subject to change. Everything. Humanity is subject to change. You know that about yourself. You know that about the people around you. Sometimes your closest companions betray you. This humanity is subject to change, but God's not. Angels, the angelic realm is subject to change. Satan and his demons were angels that fell from heaven, rebelled against God. They're subject to change, but God's not. Government is subject to change. We have a constitution that many people love, but it's been amended, but God's never amended. There are no amendments in the Word of God. Your circumstances, subject to change. Maybe you know that. Maybe you feel that right now. But listen, in the midst of your circumstances that change, that are up and down and everywhere, our God is immutable. He sat enthroned at the flood and He sits as King forever. In the midst of the greatest catastrophe, the flood, He's on His throne and He's still there now, reigning in the same way. Glorious God, immutable God. Now surely... If we thought hard enough, surely we could think of something, right? We could think of something outside of God that is unchangeable. Surely we could think of something outside of God that's immutable, right? Okay, I've got something. How about the earth and the heavens above? Immutable, right? I mean, these things are steady, right? Like you, you get out of your bed in the morning and you never got out of bed. Put your feet on the earth and we're afraid it wouldn't support you. Even though the earth is flying around the sun faster than the speed of sound, you never held onto a tree afraid you were going to fall off. These things are stable. These things seem immutable. They seem unchangeable. They seem solid. They seem like a rock. What about the heavens? You might have wondered what time does the sun go come up, but you never wondered, is the sun going to come up? You always, you just know it is. 
seems unchanging to you. You never wondered about the moon and the stars. Are they going to appear in the sky tonight? You know they're there. Even on a cloudy night, even on a foggy night, maybe you can't see it. You never doubt. Are the stars and the moon there? They seem so unchanging. These two, these are two of the most seemingly immutable things that we can think of outside of God. And what Psalm 102 does is compare God's immutability to the immutability of the earth and the heavens. Look at it one more time. Verse 25. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. These were built by God. Verse 26. They will perish but you will remain. So even what seems so foundational, so solid in the earth and the heavens, they are going to perish. The only constant is God. You know, all, all science depends. All scientific facts, scientific knowledge and research depends on the uniformity of nature or the constancy of nature. You put this chemical or this chemical to come together at the same chemical reaction every time. There's a uniformity here. But what we're learning here is that more than the earth and heavens and nature and everything else, our God reigns supreme as the constant one. He and He alone has immutability. And I love this. Keep going to verse 26. Look at what it compares the so-called immutable earth and heavens to. It says, they will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. Compare the unchangeableness of the earth and heavens to God's unchangeableness. And it's like God's got this tattered t-shirt on and he takes it off. He just takes off the old earth and the old heavens and puts on the new robe of the new heavens and the new earth. It's nothing compared to God's immutability. Verse 27. But you are the same. And your years have no end. In other words, you never perish. You never grow old, God. You never wear out. The deep wells of your love never dry up. The, the foundation, the solid foundation of your faithfulness is unshakable, God. The awful burning fire of His wrath, His indignation towards sin can never be put out. You know that's why hell's eternal? Hell's eternal because God never, ever stops being angry towards sin. He's our immutable God. Now what do we do with this? And what we do with this is we trust, we need to be a people that trust His immutable character. We trust His immutable character. Look at the, still in Psalm 102, look at the title of Psalm 102. And this is a divinely inspired title that wasn't added to your Bible. It's actually there. Look at it. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. And you can see that in the psalm. You read through it. And here's a person that's in affliction. Here's a person that's in pain. It hurts right now. And what do they do? They say, my God doesn't change. The mountains might fall into the ocean, but God remains the same. We trust no matter what happens in the unchangeable character of our God. That's what we do with this. Let me take you to another verse. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. 
I mentioned it a moment ago. I want you to trust here his immutable plan. Not just his immutable nature, but his immutable plan. Look at verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Listen to me. There's a lot riding in this attribute of God. You're not consumed because God's immutable. You're not consumed because our God doesn't change. There's a lot riding on this. You need to listen. You need to meditate. You need to understand. Corporate meditation on the immutability of God. Now the book of uh, Malachi gives us some insight. We went through it recently as a church. It gives us some insight into the people of Israel post-Babylonian captivity. And things ain't the same. It's just not like it once was. The temple is smaller. The people are smaller. They're ruled by some pagan king. Things have changed. And the people of Israel, in the book of Malachi, we see it. The people of Israel begin to blame God. They begin to put it forward as if God had changed. As if it's His fault. As if He's changed. And God looks at them in 3.6 and He says, Listen to me. I, the Lord, do not change. And that's why you're not consumed. Translation, you ought to be consumed. You ought to be destroyed. You should be wiped off the face of the earth because of your sin. But because I have a plan that through you I'm going to bring about the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, you are not consumed because my plan is immutable. It will not change. I will accomplish it. Because of His immutability, you're not consumed. God's eternal plan, if you think with me about His eternal plan, now think about this, in the mind of God before the world was. God's eternal plan in the mind of God before the world existed was to exalt the God-man Jesus Christ and to raise up for Him a people redeemed, purchased by His blood and under His joyful reign forever. You see that all over the book of Ephesians, especially Ephesians 1, that that's what God is doing. He's got this plan that's in his mind before the world was that he's going to exalt the God-man Jesus Christ. Think about that. Before, before the world was, exalt the God-man Jesus Christ and raise up a people redeemed from their sin. Think about that. That's his immutable plan before Genesis 3. Raise up a people redeemed by His blood, under His sovereign and joyful reign. And He's working everything together. Ephesians 1.11 All things work together according to the counsel of His will. He's working everything together from big things. Who's the ruler of North Korea to when your dog died last week? He's working all things together according to the counsel of His will to accomplish all of His plans. And our immutable God is the only being in the universe that finishes all of His to-do list every single day. Nothing's going unaccomplished because His plan is unchangeable. His plan is unfolding. So that's what we see here. I want you to think about this for a second. God's plan before time began and nothing has changed. Now, did Adam and Eve's sin change God's plan? 
Did Adam and Eve's sin change God's plan? Kind of like this. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything, the earth, the planet, the heavens, people. He creates it and He says it's very good. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's God's plan. Uh-oh. Man's sin. Genesis 3. Oh no, he sinned. i got to change plans now. Is that the way we read the Bible? And I hope you understand the answer is no, no, no. Ephesians 1 says He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He had in His mind a people redeemed from sin before sin even came in. Isn't it beautiful that in Genesis 2, that's before Genesis 3, in Genesis 2 we have a picture of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus for sinners before sin even entered the world. You see that in the marriage relationship that Adam was put to sleep into a deep sleep. This picture of death. And God brought a bride out of the side and raised up the man and brought together husband and his bride. Let me ask you another question. Did Israel's sin change God's plan? Did Israel's sin change God's plan? Can he be changed in this way? In other words, oh man, it didn't work out with Adam and Eve. So what I'll do is all these people on the planet have gone crazy. So I'm going to pick one people, and that one group of people, Israel, that's going to be my people, and I'll just work so hard on them that that'll be my plan. Uh-oh. They rebel, and they rebel, and they rebel, and they rebel, and they worship false gods, and they turn away from me, and they deny my word. Oh no, what do I do? It looks like i got to make a new plan. We'll send Jesus, and we'll pick this thing up, and we'll kick it out to all nations. Instead of one nation, I'll just get a little bit of a group of people from every nation. Is that the way we read our Bible? And I hope you understand the answer is no. If you understand the story of the Bible, that from when sin first entered the world, God promised He was going to send one that would crush Satan's head. And the whole Old Testament is the story that He's bringing about the Christ through the people of Israel. It's never been about one nation, but through that nation would come the Christ who would bless all nations. It's one plan being accomplished by God from eternity past to eternity future. You can trust the immutable, unchangeable plan of God. Now let's kind of bring this down to our day to day. Ephesians 1, 11 says He works all things together according to the counsel of His will. All things. Bring it down into your day to day. What about your salvation? Can you trust? I, I speak to everyone here who has true repentance and faith in Christ. Can you trust God to save you? Can you trust His plan? Well, listen to it again. It began before you breathed your first breath. It began before, it began before the world even existed. He Ephesians 1.4 He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. It already began. The plan was there before you existed. And then in real time, He sends His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was crushed for you. He's risen from the dead, ascends on high. 2,000 or so years later, you're born. He opens your eyes to see the Gospel. He opens your eyes to love Christ. And you put your faith in Him. And the Scripture says that those that He predestined, He also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. In Romans 8.30, meaning that there's no dropout through here. He is going to save you to the end. Do you trust his immutable plan? Bring it down even lower. Your day-to-day -day life. That everything is working. Everything is unfolding 
according to the counsel of his will. Nothing surprises God. Nothing. J.I. Packer said this. What he does in time, he planned from eternity. Now apply that to your life right now. What he does in time, what's he doing in your life in time? He says he planned from eternity. Now rest in his immutable plan. One more passage, Hebrews chapter 6. What I want you to see here in Hebrews 6, I've encouraged you to trust God's immutable character and his immutable plan. And I want to encourage everyone here to trust his immutable word. His immutable word. Look at Hebrews 6, verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, here's the phrase, listen to this phrase. The unchangeable character of His purpose. Think about that. The unchangeable character of His purpose. That's what we've been talking about. The New King James says, the immutability of His counsel his ways and thoughts can't be altered. His ways and thoughts cannot be amended. It can't be changed. He is the rock. The unshakable rock is what he's called in the word of God. It says the unchangeable character of his purpose. Now here's what's interesting. God desires for us to see that convincingly. He desires for us to really see his immutability very clearly. Look at, look at what it says. Look at it again. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. I want you to get that. God wants you to see this. The stuff that we're talking about through a weak preacher, through God's word, he wants you to see his immutability. Now how? How does, he, how does he shine forth his immutability into this world? Look at it in verse 17 again. So when God, who desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, what does he do? He guaranteed it with an oath. It's where the mind of God connects with the earth that he gives an oath. He gives his word. He gives the truth. How does He make known His immutable mind to us? He gives us His immutable word. His oath, His counsel, His testimonies. He gives them to us. I want you to think about this for a moment. His, God's purposes, His thoughts, His ways, they're unchanging. They always have been. They've always been unchanging. But we can't see into the mind of God. We can't see into the mind of God. You can't see that immutability. You can't notice it because you can't see into the mind of God. And so God wanting to exalt His glorious immutability connects His mind with the earth with His Word. He guarantees it with an oath. Now we see this in Isaiah 55. You can flip there quickly. Isaiah 55. It's where we see something similar. Isaiah chapter 55. Let's look at verse 6 through 11. Notice this. 
where the invisible, immutable mind of the ways and thoughts of God connect with the earth by His Word. Look at verse 6. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now keep that in mind. Ways and thoughts. Let the wicked man forsake his ways and thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And look what God says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God has ways and thoughts. Man has ways and thoughts. Man should turn away from his ways and thoughts to grab hold of the ways and thoughts of God. Verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. How do we think about it? God's ways and thoughts are like in the heavens. And our ways and thoughts are down here on earth. We need to forsake ours and get His. How do we do it? How do we get to the heavens and get His ways and His thoughts? And look at it in verse 10. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, something's coming from heaven to earth, and just like the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be. My word comes down. You get the ways and thoughts of God in heaven as He touches earth with His word. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So one of the reasons God has given us His word, His oath, His promises, these things, is to exalt His immutability. How does it work? You see something in His word and you stand on it. God is immutable whether you have His revelation or not. But He gives you His Word so you can look at it, stand on it, and watch our God who never changes do what He said He would do in His Word. If God is immutable, it means His Word is immutable. If He's unchangeable, it means His Word is unchangeable. Numbers 23, 19 again. It says, you don't have to flip there. God's not a man. Think about God's Word. God's not a man that He should lie. He's not a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it and will he not do it? Has he purposed it and will he not bring it to pass? Can you trust his word? Isaiah 46.10 God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand. Can you trust his word? 1 Kings 8.56 He says not one promise has failed of all his good word. That's the testimony of Solomon. Not one single word has failed. Jesus said in John 10, the scripture cannot be broken. If you lean into the immutable God by leaning into the immutable word, you're standing in things that cannot change. So what do we do about this? What does this mean we must do with His Word? Uh, or maybe better said, what is our privilege? What's the privilege? We've got the Word of God. We've got His oath. What's the privilege? What do we get to do then with the Word of God? 
We get to trust God's immutable word by searching them, by standing on the truth, by searching and standing and searching and standing. We're going to go to the word of God, be a people of the book, standing on his unchangeable word. And if we do that, back to Hebrews chapter 6, if we do that, and I'll close with this. If we do that, listen to the encouragement here. Hebrews 6.18 So that by two immutable or two unchangeable things that's the unchangeable purpose of God and His unchangeable oath His unchangeable word that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that's set before us Someone coming to the Word of God is this immutable Word they stand on. They have strong encouragement. They are filled with hope. It goes on to say it's like an anchor to your soul. When the waters all around you seem nuts, they seem crazy, yet the anchor to the soul, the oath, the words of God. I want to encourage you to give further thought to the immutable God. I want us to be a people. I want us to be a people that know him well. And they really know him and not just know about him. And and you know, in uh in, in the, the book Knowing God, J.I. Packard, I mentioned a moment ago, he, he says some things about how do we do this? How do we take knowledge about God and turn it into knowledge of God? How do we do that? And he mentions we take those things we know about God. And we go into meditation of those things, deep thought of those things, in front of God, in His presence, until it brings us to the place of prayer and praise to God. And I think that's biblical. For, uh, Psalm 46 10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. I want us to be a people that be still and know this God. I heard an analogy one time about uh, using screensavers. You know what a screensaver is? So I remember when the, I remember when the computer. We first got a computer in our house when I was a kid. And we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. We'd sit there for a second, we'd just watch it. And all of a sudden, screensaver. You got the lines and all that stuff coming up. Whoa, we'd just watch it. I never knew the point of that. What was up? What's going on with this screensaver? What is it doing? Why is, that, why is it like that? And there's this thing called screen burn. To where if an image, especially on those old computers, if an image sits on that screen, for too long and never changes, it burns an impression into that screen and it will be there permanently. You'll see a ghost image of it. And so they have these things called screen savers, these little distractions that keep one image from being there for too long. And listen to me, I think we have too many screen savers in our lives that we need to meditate and look and sit there long enough be still and know He's God. Know He's the immutable God and all His other attributes and not move into my phone and this thing and that thing and all these things, but sit before God until it burns an image into your soul. So that's my prayer here so we do people to know God and especially this immutable God. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word and thank You for who You are. You are immutable. You are unchanging. You are the same and your years have no end. And we worship you for that, God. And Lord, forgive us that there's times that we've treated you like a historical fact. 
And we saw your power in Egypt, God, but we didn't trust your power now. We saw your wisdom in Solomon, but we didn't trust your wisdom now. We saw your love in the past at the cross, but we don't trust your love now. And I pray, God, that you would forgive us of that. You turn us away from that. Make us a people that know you and your word and believe that you're unchanging. God, make us a people that know what it's like to be still and know that you're God. Please free us from distractions. So many distractions, God. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.